Ideas for Us podcast. Join us on our journey to discover solutions to Earth's most pressing environmental issues by learning from experts and professionals advancing our sustainable future. On today's episode, Lee Perry sits down with Raquel Fernandez and Susanna Randolph, who are two leaders of the Sierra Club Florida chapter here in Orlando, and they give us an update on their efforts through their Beyond Coal project on how they're going to pressure and hold accountable the local utilities here in Orlando, particularly uh, OUC, to stick to and realize their goals of 100% renewable energy. If you have any comments, feedback, or questions, feel free to contact us at contact.ideasforus.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can support this podcast and all our other projects by donating or becoming an individual or CSR member at ideasforus.org slash memberships. All right, here's Lee with Raquel and Susanna. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is Lee Perry with Ideas for Us talking about the future of Florida's energy grid and some steps that we see uh, OUC making in order to become uh, 100% emission free by the year 2050. But we definitely wanna take a deeper dive into some of these updates. And so I want to invite two wonderful guest speakers from Sierra Club, Susanna Randolph and Raquel Fernandez. Welcome. Thanks Lee. Thank you, Lee. So maybe really talk talk a little bit about um, OUC and our current energy grid and talk a little bit about what we need to do in order to see um, less emissions here in Orlando, Florida. Sure. So I can start, Susanna, and then I'll bump mm -hmm. it back to you. Sure. Um, so let me start by saying that OUC, which is the Orlando um, um, Utilities Commission, it's a municipal utility. So technically it is a public utility. Um, it's, it's made by a board of commissioners uh, of which the mayor of Orlando sits on it as long as he's the mayor. Um, OUC's energy grid, grid right now, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's at like 94%, it's in like 90% of uh, burning fossil fuels. Uh, but we're really exciting to share today that thankful, um, thankfully to the hard work of volunteers, the community and community partners like Ideas for Us, Jokes with Justice, the Legal Women Voters, NAACP, and many more. Um, OUC on October 14th actually delivered the news that they will be stopping uh, the burning of coal by the year 2027. So unit one, it's by, it will be retired as soon as 2025 and unit two will be retired as soon as 2026. So that's really, uh, 2027. So that's really, really exciting. Um, and I'll bump it back to my colleague, Susanna, and she can elaborate a little bit more on the energy grid of OUC. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing that we should really mention is um, for, for most most folks may or may not know, but um, 
Mayor Dyer and the city council unanimously passed a resolution for 100 to, to make Orlando 100% renewable energy uh, by the year 2050. And so what's been driving this conversation since August 7th, 2017 has been this commitment um, where the, you know, we had this moment in time just, a, just that summer where um, President Trump pulled us out of the Paris Accord, which was of course a global effort to really address this existential crisis we're dealing with, this climate crisis. And so once he did that, you know, Mayor Dyer really stepped up and said, you know, President Trump might say we're out, but Orlando's still in. And that was a really, really key moment. And making that real was their unanimous resolution they passed on August 7th that said we want to put a date on it that we want Orlando to be 100% renewable energy. Since that time, you know, we've been, OUC decided to open up a process called the Electric Integrated Resource Plan um, that would plan the, um, you know, the power generation from 2020 to 2040. And what would that look like, especially with this kind of commitment the mayor and the city made? How would they really, the big question remained, like, would OUC chart that path to renewable energy by 2050? And so, as Raquel said, on August I'm sorry, on October 14th of this year, um, OUC came out and you know put an end to the coal burning. Um, the big question that remains, and, and they put in some, some fairly key benchmarks when it comes to addressing emissions and, um, and getting to, I think they get to in the current plan that they um, just, let, just laid out, they get to about 92% renewable energy by 2050, which is awfully darn close. And that, that in and of itself is an enormous win for everybody who has been pushing for renewable energy, pushing for health, uh, sustainability in Orlando. That's a really remarkable moment. The big question remains though, is that in this CIRP that's just been um, this plan that they just uh, released, there is some plan to convert that coal to gas. And as we know, um, you know, climate advocates, folks who've been working on the climate crisis know that, you know, methane, we're talking, OEC is talking a lot about reducing carbon emissions, but when you're talking about moving to gas, methane actually has, is about 86 times more potent for the climate change uh, than, than carbon. So it's actually replacing one fossil fuel with another here is, is really going to kind of fall short of where the mayor's goal has um, kind of laid out. And so we're really working right now to push OUC to do what's called an all source request for proposal is to go out to the market and ask the market, you know, we're seeing costs for renewable energy dropping rapidly by the day, by the hour even, um, in that in the next few years, as they prepare to transition away from coal, really going out to the market and seeing what's available out there. We've seen huge success in places like Indiana, Colorado, uh, even a small municipal utility in Southern California. It's very, very close and very similar to OUC. Um, go out and do that, test the market. And what they find almost to, a, to a, a utility is that the renewable energy and storage is actually able to not only suffice for reliability, but it actually comes in much more cost effective than any fossil fuel, including gas. So that's something we're kind of really working hard to convince OUC to do um, because there's really honestly no rush. Um, it, they're scoping the end of coal by 2027. The ability to test the market in the next few years is going to be really key. And that's what we're really working hard to, to convince OUC to do. 
And not just that, but it's important to note that a fossil fuel um, conversion or like a conversion to gas will actually outsource the jobs um, instead of if you invest in um, uh, clean renewable energy um, uh, technology will actually bring more local well-paying jobs, which are really needed here in the Central Florida community, as well as all this um everything that we're talking about needs to be accompanied by a real investment and ambitious investment in energy efficiency. You know, during this pandemic times, we're talking about someone paying $300 for a utility bill when they're probably like laid off from their job, you know? And that's something that ro like rolls over into the long-term into how do we d reduce the demand of energy so we can actually achieve the mayor commitment and the city of Orlando's unanimous commitment of 100% renewable by 2050, so. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, why natural gas is being considered for those who don't know, like what are some of the envir environmental detriments that coincide with natural gas and that transition? Why not just leapfrog straight to all renewable? What's the argument being made there? That's, I mean, that's, that's the question we're asking them, right, is um, not only is, you know, um, gas is not only, like I said, you know, 86 times more potent in fueling the climate crisis than carbon. So thinking that you're reducing emissions just by getting rid of coal, you're actually, you're just substituting one um, uh, one, I think, uh, drawback for another. Um, and in the case of, you know, a state like Florida, the climate crisis is already here. You know, it's rolling in. I mean, we've, as we're monitoring these, we just had a storm go through. We have another one that's, you know, category five hitting uh, down in uh, Central America. You know, we've, we have seen, we're now in, I think we're in Greek letters now because we've run out of names, you know, in the alphabet for the number of storms we've had this year. This is real. And, um, you know, just swapping one fossil fuel for another is just not going to do it. Um, not to mention, you know, the climate crisis, but the financial risk behind gas is, is significant. Um, you know, gas is a fuel. It has to be delivered. There is a cost. We have seen gas be uh, very competitive recently. But as you can ask most of the experts, the financial ex experts who monitor these markets, that it's not a matter of if gas prices will spike, it's a matter of when. Not to mention the fact that being in a peninsula, the way that uh, gas is delivered to us is through pipeline. Um, along the way, you have these kind of fugitive emissions that fuel the climate crisis. But being kind of on a peninsula, if that if those pipelines were ever interrupted, let's say by a very you know uh, big storm, you know we've seen some you know even tremor earthquake activity up in the Panhandle. A lot of it is kind of guessed to be caused by fracking, which is the where where we get the gas to begin with. Um, you know those things make it a very um, financially risky uh, investment. Um, and then you know I think the you know really the the final thing is that. Um, you know, gas is, uh, you know, it's financially risky. It's the reliability is also questionable. Um, in California, there were just rolling blackouts um, that occurred. And a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of like information or maybe misinformation out there about the fact that that's caused by the fact that California has gone so heavily to renewable. If you look at what tripped those blackouts to begin with, it was because extreme heat actually caused some malfunctioning um, of the of some gas plants, it was actually two gas plants that could not run at full uh, full force because of extreme heat, 
when you're talking about a, a state like Florida, extreme heat's just going to get worse here. When you're talking about investing in, or not, I would say not investing, but spending money, <laughs> wasting money on gas, you run the risk of having a similar situation as in California as well. So, you know, so you have those types of things that kind of pile up. In the meantime, like if you were to go out, like our friends at Rocky Mountain Institute, which is a think tank that studies clean and renewable energy, they've put together what's called a clean energy portfolio. And what that is, is if you combine clean energy like solar, storage, which is becoming more and more um, cost-effective on the market, and energy efficiency, which lowers demand to begin with, or what we like to call the first fuel, the combination of those three things can is it will reliability-wise and affordability, well, reliability-wise will can replace any type of uh, gas plant, coal plant, but also um, cost-wise is a much uh, much smarter investment, not only because you're seeing those rates drop or those the costs drop, but also you're able to be much more flexible in how you um, how you manage your utility. If you spend a hundred, you know, million or a billion dollars on a gas plant, you have that gas plant for forty years. And if you don't run it for forty years, now you're talking about having a stranded asset. Clean energy portfolio allows you to be much more nimble in a very changing marketplace and get the best bang for your buck when it comes to your ratepayers. So. And I'll let Raquel talk a little bit more about uh, gas as well, but that's the, that is a, it's a really excellent question. Yeah, because I remember they were trying to survey us when we went to one of those roundtable discussions and they were trying to basically ask us what we value more, like reliability or affordability and try to rate that. But I think Raquel, you know, you had mentioned at one point that a lot of the hidden costs of the environmental impact and cleanup and health risks and lawsuits. And there's a lot of other costs that are not necessarily reflected in that analysis. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that like you were saying, Susanna, there's probably a lot of costs that are gonna be lessened that aren't also being di discussed. Maybe Raquel, you can shed more light on that. Right, like, I mean, can we even put a prize on like child cancer or asthma? Right. Can we even put a, a prize on what we're going through uh, this pandemic, which happens to be a respiratory virus. Right. And imagine just keep, keeping on contaminating like our or polluting our environment and just making it a, you know, a less safe um, community for us. Right. So um, there is that extra cause that is not really part of the electric integrated resource plan because they're just, you know, like taking into account how much it builds to build a gas turbine, which by the way, um, I do want to note that the company that made or is conducting the EIRP Siemens happens to be um, both a wind and gas turbine manufacturer. So I am not to imply anything, but you know, they are <laughs> choosing or showing that gas is better for OUC when we've seen uh, through the Synapse report and through the RMI report that actually a clean energy portfolio that includes battery storage and energy efficiency um, beats gas economically. So, um, but yeah, those are things that, I mean, it's not part of the electric integrated resource plan, but if you actually care about your community and you, you understand this, you know, there is, there is a cleanup as aspect of the coal, right? There is the, the health aspect of it. So, 
And you also said something that I've never heard you say before. I like to dive a little bit deeper in that. You said something about natural gas having to like outsource jobs, because I know that when it comes to arguments, it always seems to be, even if you're talking about life or death or asthma or health detriments, somehow jobs becomes a very, you know, escalated discussion. And if we are transitioning off of one form of energy to the next, a, a just transition of jobs needs to be a unified voice throughout that. Um, but you said something about outsourcing jobs. What did you mean by that? Either of you would want to take the floor on that. So, Susanna, you want to expand a little bit more on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think um, when you're talking about fossil fuels in a state like Florida, uh, it's not, we're not Kentucky, we're not West Virginia, we're not Oklahoma, you know, we, the fossil fuel jobs are up the pipeline, uh, even when you talk about gas. And so um, we're, and, and especially like the Synapse report in particular really looked at the current situation that we're in. Like, let's think about what this plan could look like and what it could do for Orlandoans um, in this specific scenario that we're all in, which is an unprecedented pandemic. People have lost their jobs. Unemployment is not functioning in the state. People are really uh, at their at the end of their rope in a lot of ways. So there's this plan in particular could really be like that um, that lifeboat that OUC could send to a lot of people. One in the sense of you know investing in more energy efficiency, which will do a lot to help curb out of control bills. Um, and disconnection, something that we saw as a big crisis over the summer, people being disconnected. Uh, people are still being disconnected. The big question for OUC will be uh, on disconnections going into the holidays. You know, what does, what becomes their policy there? Um, you know, hopefully it's, it's you know, uh, one that is humane and, and, and uh, I want to say humane, but- Community um, oriented. Kind, <laughs> kind and forgiving in the in the spirit uh, in the in the holiday where you need to be kind and forgiving. But um, a lot of the disconnections are really triggered by um, high energy bills, high energy usage, um, of which we think that uh, really taking a look at OUC's uh, history and their current investments in energy efficiency programs for low-income communities, they could be doing a whole lot better. Um, but even more so, as you're looking in this specific COVID context that we're in right now, you know, energy efficiency investments are oftentimes construction, weatherization. It's stuff that's happening here in the community. We're putting in, you know, better insulation in homes in the community and businesses in the community. Um, you know, solar and storage jobs, that stuff is here in the local community. Um, that, that's the stuff that people need right now. That's the lifeboat that OUC could be providing, not only curbing the bills through energy efficiency programs, but then also really, you know, investing in in a plan that's going to spur our local economy and give people, they're not only jobs, they're higher quality jobs. They're not your kind of minimum wage jobs. These are, these are actually really good quality jobs. And something like this, it's not only, you know, I think OUC is going to be, you know, just by nature of what it is, it's going to think like a utility. It's going to think about how to keep the lights on. It's going to be thinking about those types of basic things as a utility that they can provide. But I really challenge OUC, like, Think about this as a moment where you're you're a hometown utility that not only keeps the lights on, but it keeps people it it, it it keeps people employed. It keeps people 
to for put, being able to put food on their table, be connected so their kid can go to school virtually by in, ensuring that those energy efficiency programs are getting to the people who need them and getting to them in a way that's going to make a difference. So that's kind of the challenge, right? You can think big, think bigger, think biggest here uh, as OUC um, and, and be that hometown utility that we all need right now. Yeah, but you know, even in their slogan, the reliable one, I saw that dependability was part of the argument as though renewable energy resources are not as dependable and reliable as the alternatives, coal or natural gas. Now, when you look at that actual argument though, what are some of the numbers? You even just brought up blackouts just due to heat stress. I can only imagine if you do a side-by-side -side comparison, if we could, you know, stop, you know, the people that are like on a cloudy day, I'm not going to be able to use my stove. It's like, what do we want to tell these people? So but let me ask a question, right? And let's think about it this way. Okay, they're the reliable one, true. Um, reliable to who? There's still people that are still getting disconnected because they can't afford their utility bill. And not. And we're not talking about the minority, we're talking about the majority. I mean, the majority, I think it's like 51% of Orlando residents actually rent their, their houses, which means that they probably don't have any saying on what type of light bulb they even put inside of their house or what type of AC unit they have, right? So, um, we're talking about reliability, but then again, like to who, who's actually having access to this, to this uh, 24 seven electricity without even being able to pay their utility bill. So if we actually invest in energy efficiency um, for low to moderate income communities, we'll be able to meet the demand that renewable energy will provide us, you know? So um, I just, that's like, I think that's my main argument, you know, and then, you know, when you think of solar energy, you're not only thinking of um, solar farms, but you're also thinking of roof, rooftop solar. And I mean, Lee, I think all of, all of us here are local um, Floridians, right? So I lived on West Orlando. It might be pouring in downtown Orlando, but I might have, you know, like full sunshine on my side of town. So um, actually one of our good friends and partners from Solar United Neighbors, Michael Cohen, um, was telling me, but you know, if we actually uh, take advantage of the rooftop solar capacity and actually um, start, you know, storing or like catching electricity in one side of the city while the other one might be cloudy, then you kind of like start compensating, right? And that's where battery storage comes into play. So at the end of the day, it's like Susanna said, just test the market. You don't have to make the decision right now. We have, you know, like we have time to for actually for the development of of this technology to keep on rising. It's only getting better and cheaper. So yeah, and I think I think that to your point, Raquel, is like the way you solve intermittency is you spread it out as far as you can, and that's where like. The EIRP doesn't really, the plan that they just, the roadmap that they just uh, released doesn't really address distributed generation, which is rooftop solar. Like, how are you leveraging rooftop solar? I mean, you can drive around anywhere in Orlando and see that folks have solar on their roofs. Like, it's not everywhere, but it's enough that, I mean, I, I drive along with my daughter all the time and she's like, look, mommy, solar panels, look, 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 look. I mean, it's, it's starting to be more and more. And just imagine if we really maximized it, if we really thought about how to 
how to get more rooftop solar in addition to utility uh, utility scale solar, that intermittency becomes uh, cured. And you know, I'll also point out that the fact that you know places like New York and North Carolina are outdoing us on solar right now, and we're supposed to be the sunshine state. Um, but we continue. <laughs> I think Raquel said it the other day. She's like. We're the sunshine state, but OUC wants to argue that we're the cloudy state. You know, like you can't, <laughs> you, like we are the sunshine state. We just have to, we have to take the, we have to really be thinking forward on this. And then, uh, you know, to, to the, um, the other way that you solve intermittency is with storage. And you're starting to see Nextera, who just invested in the world's largest battery over in Manatee County, just down I-4 corridor. They're also planning one according to their 10-year site plan. Uh, over in the panhandle. You know, if, if big companies like Nextera are seeing the writing on the wall, they're not going to do something that's not profitable, right? They they are going to go the way that profit takes them because they're an investor-owned utility. If they're doing it, then it it's a good sign that they're seeing um they're seeing that there's going to be a big return for that investment. So, you know, that that's what I would say to the intermittency. And you know, um we can say that gas plants are reliable. We've seen what happens that they fail too, you know? So what's the answer to that? So. Yeah. You know, I find it funny because I've seen other, I have my, an uncle that's working in another utility company that will not be named. And uh, he was saying that they're investing in solar farms like privately in order to basically bring their costs down, but still selling the same rate of uh, energy as as they ever would, and yet lobbying against having net metering and individuals being able to have their own independency. Um, so, what do you do? You have any comments about that? Um. I don't know if I want to dive into that conversation right now, um, but at the end of the day, yes, Lee is all about money, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's why we're trying to push OUC into making the financially smart decision of not investing in something that's going to cost rate payers, you know, money in the long term and become a stranded asset, you know, just doesn't make sense. We know, you know, I mean, you already mentioned it. Solar energy is just getting cheaper. So why not actually do something that's beneficial for the community health-wise and like local jobs, you know, we'll bring local jobs. And on top of that, we'll actually be cheaper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just in closing, you know, what are some action items for the average person who wants to make a stand and wants to make their voices heard what are some ways that they can get involved and what are some action items for them as individuals that are OUC clients? This is an organic campaign, post on social media. We have a great social media toolkit that people can use as a guide and start sharing with their neighbors. You know, it's the time is from now until the board uh, boats on this plan where we can actually make a difference as a community. After that, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. So as community, as, a, as, a, as the Orlando community and as uh, OUC's customers, we don't want gas. We don't want fossil fuel, right? Make the, the uh, financially and the, and the like morally or ethical, however you want to call it, uh, decision of not investing in fossil fuels and actually investing in energy efficiency in our most vulnerable communities, right? You call yourself the reliable one. So let's be reliable to what the community wants and what 
uh, the, the one that needs it the most. So just make, get, you know, like let your voice be heard that this is what the community wants. I mean, it's what the city voted for. They voted for 100% renewable energy, not net zero, not carbon offsets, not, um, you know, like half and half, no, 100% renewable energy. So um, the community has the power. Again, I said it, all you see is a local municipal utility. It's a public utility and they're accountable to their community. And I would, I would add just one other thing too. Also, um, I think it's important to, to call a right to your, the mayor. Um, you know, Mayor Dyer stepped up. He took the leadership to put us on this track and he we should let him know that he did the right thing, but also we should let him know that it's okay to push OUC. Like we're here to get your back. If you need to go over to OUC, walk across the way and say, hey guys, I wasn't, I wasn't kidding about this pledge. I take climate change seriously. I believe in science, which he does. And I think really contacting the mayor and let him know, like do what you need to do to make sure that they make good on your promise. And we've got your back on that. Let your city commissioner know, too, because it was a unanimous decision. I mean, we have Republicans and Democrats on um, on that city council, and they all voted for it. And they all spoke as that day as John OUC to make good on your promise. You made a you were, you did a really great thing and you stepped up. And we we want we want to let you know that if you need to walk over there and, you know, tell them what what they need to do, then we're, we've got your back on it. And um, I think he would really appreciate that, because oftentimes I think during the vote when it happened, he said, you know, normally we would not open up public comment for a unanimous decision, but it's kind of nice to have something where we're all on the same page. You know, we are on the same page. We just need OUC to get on the same page. So letting the mayor know we've got his back, go do what you need to do, demand that, that they get it done for you. Like we're here for you. Yeah. And they just signed, um, the city of Orlando just signed the climate emergency declaration so that's a unified message right there that there is a problem that climate change is real um, not every county or city in the state uh, acknowledges that but i'm really proud to be in a city that does say out loud that climate change is real and that there is progress happening it's just people like you who are the local heroes taking it upon yourself every single day to put a little bit more pressure and challenge it a little bit further because we don't have to settle for the lesser of two evils. We could be the best. We could have incredible job opportunities. We could engage underserved communities. We could you know, help combat extreme health conditions um, and, and lessen the footprint of our energy grid all along the way. So I really just thank both of you so much for your time today. And um, any closing thoughts? I, I do. I have one thing to say just to build on that, because um, because you're right, Lee, you know, making that climate emergency declaration was yet another step of, you know, our city really stepping up and taking the lead. And, you know, um, I know uh, Buddy Dyer, our mayor, has been around for a really long time. And, um, you know, at some point he won't be our mayor anymore. But uh, and I hope that I mean, I want him to be mayor forever, frankly, <laughs> the, way, the way they're going. But um, but this is, you know, going to be an enormous feather in the cap of his legacy. This is his legacy. Like when I drive by one day uh, on the 417 and I don't see Stanton coal plant anymore. And my daughter, who has been watching that since the beginning of this campaign, when we don't see that, we're going to know it's because 
of his leadership. This is his legacy. And I would really be, um, I think, I think OUC is, it's going to be up to them as to whether or not that legacy is going to be as big as it, as it could be. And uh, I really hope they do the right thing and, and they give him that ability to say that this is what he did because it's a what a what an amazing legacy to leave the city. Thank you for that. Raquel, do you have any closing thoughts? Well, Lee, like thank you for having us here. Um, and thank you to you and ideas for us for also like doing an amazing job locally and you know, like sharing um the local environmental issues, you know. Um, again, like I appreciate it and like, you know, please, please, my closing thought to people is don't feel intimidated. Don't, don't feel like you don't have a voice. Um, along with the mayor unanimous commitment and the city of unanimous commitment, I'm sorry, this is also a, a, a grassroots, like locally led um, push, you know? Um, so if you turn out and you tell OUC, hey, I don't want gas, be sure that they have to listen to you, you know? So that's my my main thing, you know, like just the community needs to come out and, and keep them pushing more. And and um, and like Susana said, you know, like back the mayor's commitment, like we've, we've got the mayor's back, you know? Um, we're right here with him. We'll, we'll show up at OUC, we'll speak, we'll send emails as long as OUC actually upholds to, to that promise. Awesome. Well, thank you both again so much for your time. And if you want to get involved at all, please contact us. You can visit our website, ideasforus.org. Uh, we're going to be doing some more social media, blog writing, and we're just going to be following this entire process as it happens and uh, sharing it with our audience and hopefully cross-pollinating across other audiences as well. So thank you ladies so much. And I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, you too. Thanks, Take care, you guys. so much for listening to the official Ideas for Us podcast. You can learn more about our environmental action projects by visiting ideasforus.org and stay in the loop by subscribing to our monthly newsletter. Support this podcast and all our projects by donating or becoming an individual or CSR member at ideasforus.org slash memberships. This episode has been made possible by all you wonderful members. Together, we're advancing environmental action worldwide. Please share this podcast with all your friends and loved ones and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. In the meantime, you can stay tuned to hear what amazing guests we'll be featuring in future episodes. And we'll see you next time on the official Ideas for Us podcast. Mm-hmm.